Amen. That was, that was scandalous. <laughs> yeah, turn to your neighbor, tell him, say, that was, that was scandalous. <laughs> scandalous love. Let's give it up one more time for Todd. Yeah, it's really funny because uh, I think even for myself and, and my story, and, and I know as Todd's sharing his, whenever, you know, Satan brings so many lies and he tells you that, you know, if you share or if you bring these things out, someone's going to judge you. Someone's going to put you down. And, and oftentimes whenever you do share, you realize like whenever these things do come to light, that God's grace and God's love is so much greater. And it's not as painful as you may have thought. You get it out there, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay. And you're like, wait, what? What do you mean, okay? Don't you want to tell me I'm stupid? Don't you want to tell me I'm dirty? No, that's not how God operates. He says, okay. Because he's like, I'm God. I'm bigger than your sin. You know, we think that God is intimidated by our sin. He's like, please. I'm God. <laughs> if you're ready for uh, this message today, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm ready. I'm ready. T- turn to your other neighbor and say, you ain't ready. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. So last night we talked about the scandalous love that's shown in the incarnation. We talked about how the definition of a scandal biblically is a stumbling block. And it means that you are, it's something that's put in your path that causes you to question or to step away from everything else that you've believed beforehand. It's a scandal. And a scandal, you either go around, you ignore, or you stand upon. And we started off by talking about how the only scandal, the biggest scandal, is Jesus Christ. It's not an event, it's not an action. It's not Brad Pitt and Angelina. It's not even what Todd shared. Because as scandalous as what Todd shared was, and mm, it was scandalous. God's love is so much more scandalous. It's so much of a scandal that it overshadows our scandals. And last night we talked about the scandalous love of the incarnation, meaning that whenever we are... No matter what, how unholy or impure or how common or whatever, no matter how much sin that we have in our lives, the scandalous love of God is shown in the incarnation in that God still chooses to come to us. God still chooses to manifest his presence. God still chooses to be with us. The Bible says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Meaning that even when you sin, God is there. Think about that. Even when you sin, God is not up in heaven like, yo, yo, don't do that. That's wrong. Don't, don't, don't. No, he's standing right there. Jesus is right there. Chilling. His presence never leaves us. 
Your awareness of his presence may change, but his presence never changes. But here's the thing. See, it's not enough and it's not enough of a scandalous love for God to just simply be with us in the midst of our uncleanness. It's not enough for God to say, my scandalous love is so great that I will be with you in the midst of your unholiness or in the midst of your mistakes or in the midst of your weakness or in the midst of your trying times or when things get tough just for you to know that I am there. It's actually not even God doesn't just stop there. He doesn't stop there and say, well, you're scared or you're feeling pride or you're going through this. I'm here with you. No, see, God is beyond just being with us because it's not enough just for God to say, I want to be with you. He says, I'm not just going to be with you. I'm going to change you as well. Because, you know, say you love your best friend, right? Or maybe the person next to you, you can turn to them and say, you know, tell them you love them. Some of you feeling like right now I'm lying. He's making me lie. He is making me lie. I want to tell you, love is not a feeling. Love is not a feeling. Love is an action. You don't feel love. You do it. And say you have your best friend or the person next to you and you see that they are going down the wrong path. Say they're doing drugs. And they, they come to you and they're like, you know what, Marcus? I'm deciding I'm going to do some crack. Okay, I'm deciding I'm going to do some drugs. I just decided I want to do it. Sounds like fun. I see it in all the rap videos. I'm going to do it. And so you being your being their friend and you want to show them your scandalous love, you decide that you're going to stand with them. You're going to be with them in the midst of their drug usage. So you're just going to walk it out with them and they're still doing the crack. They're still doing the drugs, but you're there. I'm watching. I'm with you. Would we say that's love? No. Thank you. (laughs) Rhetorical question. No, none of us in our right mind would say that that's love. None of us in our right mind would say that we can stand with a person in their sin and say that that's love. We would never say that just simply empathizing with someone is enough. And Jesus, when he came to earth, he stood with us. He's with us in the midst of our trial, in the midst of our struggle. But he's not just there. He also has power to change us in the midst of it. See, his scandalous love is not just that he is with us. It's also that he desires to change us in the midst of it. Today, we're going to talk about, well, depending on how much time we have, we're going to talk about some of the more scandalous aspects of Jesus's ministry. Jesus's ministry lasted three years, but it was the most powerful three years ever. Ever. It was epic. You know, he walked on water. He fed the 5,000. He... He fed 4,000 after that. He did amazing miracles. He would touch, you know, in the Old Testament, you touched the leper and you became unclean. But when Jesus came, he touched the lepers and they became clean. 
you know, Jesus had he would walk through and he was he went to a well and there was a Samaritan woman, a woman that he shouldn't have even talked to. And he's like, you know, woman, give me something to drink. It's, you know, it's 30 degrees Celsius outside. Give me some warm, some water, you know, and she's like, who are you to talk to me? Whatever. And, and he begins to prophesy. He begins to tell her the secret things of her heart. He begins to speak to her in such a way in which it changes her life forever. She runs back and tells everyone I've met the Messiah. Jesus's ministry in those three years, he raised the dead. Lazarus, a close friend of his, he had died. Jesus decided he was going to take his time. He found out his friend Lazarus was dying and he said, most of us would go there immediately, right? But Jesus is like, I'm going to take my time. He gets there. Lazarus is dead because he took his time. <laughs> Jesus cries about it for a minute. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, Lazarus, come out. The power of God comes upon Lazarus and Lazarus is resurrected. Jesus did amazing things. But it wasn't just his miracles that were amazing. It was his words as well. Some of the things that Jesus said were absolutely crazy. Literally crazy. Like if Jesus came in today and spoke a sermon, all of us would leave. You think you wouldn't. You think you'd be taking notes. But no, we would all leave. Like, okay, listen, guy with the beard. You're a little too crazy for me right now. I want you to, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 6. That's better. John chapter 6, and we're going to look, <coughs> let me give you some, we're going to look at verses, verses 48 to 57. I'm going to read it and you're just going to read along with me. All right. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of this world is my flesh. Someone say that's nasty. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man. And drink his blood. You have no life in you. Mm. I saw you guys do the twilight thing last night. <laughs> Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Amen. 
Sounds like Jesus is condoning cannibalism. If you read on in this passage, uh, they continue to ask him questions because they say, this is a hard saying. This is crazy. And he says, what, are you offended? What, is this a scandal? And then afterwards, it says that most, almost everyone left. See, Jesus, I'll give you some context. Jesus had, had started his earthly ministry and he... You know, he was born in the manger, right? We went over the the scene, you know, Joseph with the afro, Mary with the braids. And Jesus grows up. And then when he becomes 30 years old, he's baptized. The Holy Spirit comes upon him and Jesus begins his ministry. And he begins to do mighty signs and miracles. They say that Jesus taught with such authority that people were astounded. They were amazed at his authority. And so naturally, Jesus had a huge following. He did not have YouTube, but he had like a ton of followers. Like he had Justin Bieber ain't got nothing on Jesus. Like people would follow Jesus everywhere they went. They would break into places where Jesus was eating to talk to him. If that happened to one of us, we would probably hurt someone. I'm sitting here eating my Nagasaki ramen. And someone, Pastor Marcus, I need you. Get out. This is my home. It's my sanctuary. Like Jesus, people were after Jesus. He had so many followers because there was something about this man where people could tell that he was other. He was different. They get to this place where they're at the the sea. They're right there standing on the beach and there's all these people around and it's starting to get nighttime and the disciples, they come up to him and they're like, yo, Jesus, um, we got all these people here and you've been teaching. You've been speaking a very long sermon, um, giving a really long testimony, Todd Beatty. And I'm just kidding. (laughs) And, uh, I'm just kidding. And, uh, and they're like, Send them away, you know, compassion. So Jesus says, no, wait, wait, you give them something to eat. It's 12,000 people there. And Jesus says, you feed them. They're like, what? Little kid walks by. Give give me no food. Okay, Jesus, we got five loaves and two fish. Jesus is like, that ain't even yours. He takes the five loaves and two fish. He blesses it and then gives it, puts it in the hands of the disciples. The disciples walk around and as they are passing it out, it multiplies. The miracle happens in their hands and they feed all of them enough so that there's baskets left over. It's amazing. And so Jesus does this amazing miracle with food and he does all of this and then. All of a sudden, the Pharisees show up and they want they're asking questions and they're they're questioning Jesus because Jesus has performed this miracle. And they're wondering if it's the same thing that that has been done in the past. And then all of a sudden, Jesus starts to speak to them and he starts getting a little weird. He starts getting a little scandalous. And he's like, I am the bread of life. They're like, wait, no, Jesus, you just fed everyone bread. He's like, no, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood. You know, those would be the ones who have a part in me. People are like, this is crazy. He's just talking about cannibalism. (laughs) 
To a Jew, this was unbelievably scandalous because during their time in their law, even just like today, if you eat someone, that is wrong. (laughs) Right? We all agree that that's wrong. You know, if David O comes at me trying to bite my arm, I'm going to punch him. And I may not stop punching him. We all agree it's wrong. They all understood it was wrong. And that's why they were weirded out. They were wondering, what does he mean by eat my flesh and drink my blood? And that's because the reason why Jesus did this and the reason why he did it after this miracle is because Jesus was putting before them a stumbling block. He was putting before them a scandal and he was doing it in in a manner in which all of us can relate. And that's food. We all like food. I saw y'all this morning. You all like food. You know, I'm trying to sleep and I get up and everyone's like eating up. I was like, what's going on? Some of us like food more than others. Ain't nothing wrong with that. You know, there's something unbelievably intimate about food. You know, food is the one thing that when you consume it, you put it inside your mouth and whatever you consume, it becomes a part of you. You literally are what you eat. You know, if I, I love McDonald's. I had McDonald's last night. I'm sorry. I, guest speaker. I can do what I want. <laughs> but in, uh, when I was in seminary at Torch Trinity, we, we rode by a, a, uh, there was a McDonald's right down the street from where our dormitory was. And so every day as I would come in and out of torch, I would stop by McDonald's and I would get the Shanghai spice, <laughs> Shanghai spice, chicken bogo sits, you know, <laughs> and I liked it. I like burgers, but I also like chicken. Okay. I love chicken. Actually, I got the Shanghai spice and then, and then, um, okay. So I had this period of time where I ate chicken every day, two times a day for like two weeks. Okay. I know some of the people in here are going to, they're going to joke at me about that later. (laughs) Oh, you love chicken, don't you? Yes. Okay. I like chicken. But the funny thing was, was I kept eating this chicken and I thought like, you know, chicken's good. It's got all my vitamins, my minerals. Like, you know, I eat it with the bread on top. Like it's breaded, it's fried. So there, you know, there's my carbohydrates, you know, it's, I got everything I need right there in the chicken. You know, it's got the simple sugars with the yang yum sauce, you know, at McDonald's, I'll get the Shanghai spice. It's got the tomato. There's my vegetables, you know, my French fries. There's my veggies. Until about two weeks in, and I thought I was going to (laughs) die. No, literally, I could not breathe. I tried to go up steps to my class, and I only made it up one flight of stairs. And then, like, Pastor John, it was, John, (sighs) carry me. (laughs) You know, there's this aspect about food. That, you know, God gave us food. Food is a gift from God. Can I get an amen on that? Food is a gift from God. 
except for a sundae. I don't know what that is. <laughs> pig intestines. Mm-hmm. That came from the devil. That was not <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Causing some of you to stumble right now? Is that a scandal? But God gave us food for... I tell you, God gave us food for two reasons. Well, three, actually. The first is sustenance. Everyone say sustenance. sustenance. Meaning that food is given to us to sustain us. Food is given to us to nourish our bodies, right? If you do not eat, you will die, right? You can go a certain a period of time without eating, but after a while, if you, if you do not eat or you eat too much of the wrong thing, you will die. There's this documentary called Supersize Me. Where it's this guy, he eats McDonald's. He eats a Big Mac. He eats McDonald's for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for six weeks, and his liver almost fails. The doctor's like, whatever you're doing, you need to stop. You're about to die. He's like working out and everything. But all of a sudden, because of what he ate, it was so bad. It was so nasty. It was killing him on the inside. I'm talking about the natural, but how many of you guys know that there's so many things that we eat in our lifetime that is causing us to die on the inside? Uh, this little bit of pornography. Oh, I can just eat a little bit of this. Oh, it's not going to bother me. It, it'll, help, it'll help sustain me for a bit. Then all of a sudden, you feel further from God. All of a sudden, this source of life that you used to, you start to feel more and more dead on the inside. All this bitterness, this unforgiveness. I can have a bit. What's, what's a little bit of bitterness? You know, hey, this bitterness makes me feel better. You know, it's like a Coca-Cola. Someone told me the other day that you can clean a toilet with Coca-Cola. It's like the best thing to clean a toilet. I used to drink Coca-Cola like every day. Yo, I, I can just have a little bit. Let me just have a little bit of bitterness. It'll make me feel better about myself. It will sustain me right now. I can have this bitterness. Let me have some of this hate. Let me have some of this lust. Let me have some of this greed. So what if, I, if I'm buying stuff all the time? So what if I'm so materialistic that I cannot eat day to day? So what? At least I look good. It makes me feel good about myself. But over time. It kills you. The second reason God gave us food was for satisfaction. When I eat a steak that is rare to medium rare. Let's take a moment for that steak. (laughs) You know, that feeling you get after you've had an amazing meal. Mm. You know, see, God didn't just give you food to keep you alive. He actually gave it to you so that it would nourish your soul. Your soul is your mind, your will and your emotions. God actually gave us food because food can make us feel good. The problem is when food becomes comfort food. You know, I think some of you are going to be convicted both spiritually and naturally. I said comfort food and people, oh, he knows about those pretzels I had hidden. 
He knows. But see, the problem becomes, see, you can have food, but there's a problem when the food, when there's, whenever you have sustenance, but no satisfaction, that's religion. And anytime you have, anytime you have satisfaction with no sustenance, that is idolatry. That's rebellion. See, there's too many believers that are walking around getting satisfied by things that will not sustain them. We're walking around feeding ourselves with things that we know are killing us on the inside that are not keeping us alive. And yet we still keep eating it because it feels good. It tastes good to the palate. And then there's some of us who are doing the right things, doing the things that will sustain us. But there's no satisfaction. There's no real relationship with God. We don't feel a connection with Jesus. We're just doing it because someone told us to. We're just doing it because we know it's the right thing to do. But God's love is not about just giving you sustenance or satisfaction. It's about giving you both. What satisfies you? Really? Ask yourself, what satisfies you? Is it Jesus? If everything was taken away and all you had was Jesus, would you feel satisfied? What sustains you? What sustains you? What keeps you going? What gets you up in the morning? Is it, is it your academics? Is it your career? Is that what gets you up? Is that what keeps you moving forward? Because there'll come a day in which you won't have that career anymore. There'll come a day in which those plans will not sustain you. Those plans do not satisfy. It says, you know, there's statistics that say that the wealthiest 1% are actually the most depressed. The people who have attained their dreams and have, have reached their goals, and they're the ones they're satisfied. They're sustained. They've got everything they need, but on the inside, they're dead. What's keeping you going? Jesus. See, the reason why people left was not simply because Jesus was talking about cannibalism and, oh, I don't want to hear about that. That's crazy. The reason they left was because they realized that what Jesus was calling them to was so much more scandalous. He was calling them to a deeper relationship. He was calling them to be both sustained and satisfied. Is that the kind of, do you want to live a satisfied life? Do you want to live a life where you're sustained? There's a third reason why, why Jesus, why God gave us food and his fellowship. You know, if Anyone you eat with enough times, after a while, you'll become family with them. You know, if I sit down with Todd Beatty and we eat chicken every day. okay, one, we may die in a few weeks, (laughs) but during that time, we're going to be tight. You know, he's going to be my brother from another mother. Because food God's given to us for us to center around because it brings us closer to the people we're eating with. 
to bring that back to what Jesus was saying. See, when Jesus said that you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, he was talking about wanting to take you to a place where you are one with the God of the universe. He was saying, I want to take you to a place where you begin to know me and I begin to know you. And we begin to become not just friends, not just acquaintances. There's too many of us that are acquaintances with God. There's too many of us that have a meal with God every once in a while. He's saying, I want to be family. I want to be intimate. I want to be close. Everyone left because it was a stumbling block. We don't have much time, but I want to give you one more example where Jesus talks about food. And it's in Mark chapter 7. You can turn there if you'd like. I want you to be asking yourself, what sustains you? What satisfies you? There's a story where it's called Jesus. It's, it's entitled, you'll see it, the caption says, Jesus and the Syrophoenician Woman. I, I alluded to it earlier. It was where Jesus actually calls a woman a dog. I was joking earlier that I was going to be like, tell your neighbor you're a dog, but I'm not going to do that. Because <laughs> I don't want people fighting during the message. <laughs> see, there's this. There's this occurrence where Jesus has went to this city called Tyre and he's there and he doesn't want anyone to know. But this woman finds out that Jesus is there and she breaks in. She kicks down the door. And it says that she's a Syrophoenician. Everyone say Syrophoenician. Syrophoenician. I'll tell you who the Syrophoenicians were. They, they came from a Greek lineage, a Greek heritage, meaning that they were pagans. Everyone say pagan. pagan. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, don't be a pagan. You want to know what a pagan is? A pagan is someone who has multiple gods. A pagan is someone who has gods of money, gods of sex, gods over their relationships and family, gods over particular different areas of their life that they worship. And many of us, even though we worship Jesus, we live natural lives that are like pagans. Where we actually worship money. Where we worship the approval of people. We worship so many other things. And this woman, she comes in and it says that she begged Jesus. But in the actual language, in the Greek, it just means that she asked him. Her daughter was sick. Her daughter was demonized. Her daughter was demonized. And you know the reason why her daughter was demonized? Her daughter was demonized because her mother was a pagan. Because, see, whenever you begin to be nourished and sustained by anything other than God, the door that you open up is not to God, but to Satan. Let's just get real. That bondage, the reason why you feel like you can't get set free, the reason why you feel like you're in chains is because the door has been open for the enemy to put chains upon your life. If you feel like you're in chains, it's probably because there are chains. And she comes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, heal my daughter. It seems like a noble request, right? But 
in the actual language, when it said that she asked him, Jesus, heal my daughter. What it meant was that she was just going to him, asking him to heal her daughter so that she could go back to worshiping her gods after Jesus had healed. She just essentially treated Jesus like a one night stand. Just I'm going to come up to you, Jesus, and get what I can from you. And then I'm going to go back to the way I was living before. And Jesus looks at her and he understands the attitude of her heart. And so he says, let the children be fed first. Because it's not right to throw the food to the dogs. I mean, if I was there sitting with Jesus, I'm like, yo, yo, Jesus, calm down. She just asked for healing. Like, let me pray for her then. But you know what Jesus was saying? In the Bible, when it talks about a dog, a dog is the lowest form. In the Jewish mindset. Why? Because a dog is someone who goes and eats their food and then they return back to their vomit. They said a, a dog is nourished by the lowest things. But the children, they rely solely on God. The children find their nourishment solely in their heavenly father. He says this to her and she says, well, even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the plate. You know what she, she was saying? She was coming before God in the most honest way. He called her, he called her a dog. She, he said, listen, the way you're living right now is low. You're eating things that will not sustain you. You're eating things that will not satisfy you. You're living a life that will not prosper. And she said... I know. She said, I know. But at the end of the day, I know, Jesus, that your love is the greatest thing that can satisfy. She said, Jesus, at the end of the day, I know that even if I'm still living this life, that ultimately I'm still going to get fed by you. Ultimately, Jesus You're the greatest source of satisfaction. You're the greatest source of sustenance. See, when Todd was sharing his testimony. There came a point where Todd realized the the place where he was really at. And Jesus didn't come along and just all of a sudden say, well, I'm going to take you completely out of it. No, he let Todd see where he was really at. He let Todd come to the place where he needed to realize that the only source of sustenance and satisfaction in his life is not the things that he's currently eating. But it's God. Last night I talked about how Jesus, when he was born, he was placed into a manger. And it was a feeding trough. It was a place where there was slop and things that humans shouldn't be eating. And that's because Jesus will go there. Jesus will go to our lowest place. But then there comes a time where Jesus pulls us out. And he says, it's time to get up out of that. It's time to be sustained by me. I want us to pray together. Hmm.
just going to give you a moment. Because I want you to really ask yourself, what am I being satisfied by? What am I looking to as my source of sustenance? What is it that keeps me going? What is it that I'm relying on? Who is it that I'm looking to? Is it Jesus? Is it lust? Is it pornography? Is it bitterness, unforgiveness, this desire to get even, to prove to someone else that you're not what they said you were? You know, the problem with all these other things other than Jesus is that at the end of the day, it just... Yeah, it's scandalous, but it it harms our person. It turns us into people that God did not make us to be. And the scandalous love of Jesus that's shown in his life is that he desires to restore to you back your dignity. To restore to you back your dependence on him and that relationship that you felt like has been missing. So I want to give you a moment. I want you to just pray before God and just just be honest with him. And you know and and just tell him what what you've been getting satisfied by before. He's not intimidated. He won't be shocked. He just wants, he wants to know. Begin to tell him, God, you know, this is what I've been satisfied. This is what I've been looking to for satisfaction. This is what I've been relying on. But God, I realize that more than anything, Lord, you want me to, to rely on you. You're the greater source. vision. You're the greater source of satisfaction. Let's just spend some time right now in prayer. Just be honest before him. Speak it out with your mouth. You got to be bold. You're in the presence of God. Tell him. Tell him audibly. There's power in that. Let's pray.